The choices you make and specifically the way you choose to see God matters. How you choose to interpret the circumstances of your life matters because what you choose to believe about Him is who you'll show others that He is. Will you choose to see Him through the eyes of fear and doubt or through the understanding of a God who not only loves us, but is love? Join me today as we learn to see Him rightly, as we learn to choose love. Hey everybody, welcome to Choose Love. I had to think for a second which thing I'm doing. Um, this is actually my favorite um, part of the week that I get to come and first of all, just study into what I wanna share with you and then get to share it with you. It really is an honor to get to invest in those of you that choose to watch this and take time to be fed spiritually. And so I always want to say thank you. Um, I have been told that I need to start reminding you guys to help us out by wherever you're watching this, whether it's on YouTube or Rumble. Um, I'm not sure where all it's being put, but if you could please make sure that you have subscribed to that channel of ours and also hit the like button. Um, that doesn't just make us feel good. It actually affects the algorithms, which affects how many people get to view this. And it's kind of like free advertising. It gets us in front of more people who get to be impacted more by um, the message that we're passionate about and basically Jesus. So um, subscribe and like, thank you so much. Uh, today, I am going to talk with you about a subject called Behind the Veil. And this is something that's been brewing in me for a few weeks now. And even going back further than that, um, I was asked at the end of last year, Johnny and I both were, to give a short prophetic um, picture for what we felt like God was showing us for 2023. And if you haven't seen that, you can find it on, um, where is it? I know it's on our Facebook from the end of the year, and it was not our event. Um, and there was a ton of other speakers that you'd probably love to hear from. And I'm trying to remember, it was put up by Kingdom Learning, Kingdom Learning. And they are dear friends that have partnered with us in the past for our RISE Summit. So you'll recognize them. But um Pastor Bobby Hobby and Chris Binky um, basically brought all these voices together through a video. And it was so incredible to see how um, so many of us had such a similar word from the Lord for 2023, which makes me think that it would confirm things that God has shown you also. We're still, what I'm today, as I'm filming this, I'm on the last day of January, the first month of 2023. But the Lord spoke to me um, and what I shared there, I'm not going to go into, into in depth now, but just acknowledge that there were three things that he showed me that this was going to be a year that we would transition through. And I think every year is a transition year. Obviously, it's transitioning us from the past through the present to the future. But what are we specifically transitioning through in this year? Um, 
Obviously, this is not exhaustive. The Lord is doing all kinds of things that I have no clue about, but these were three that he impressed on my heart. One of them was an aspect of what I want to talk about today. One of them was an aspect of what I talked about on the last episode of Choose Love. And in that episode, we talked about, and if you haven't watched it, please go back and watch it. I think it will really um, encourage you and motivate you. I want you to be challenged in the main thing. You know, it's so easy with all that we face just in normal life. And then on top of it, the strangeness of the overall season that we're in in the world right now, there's so many distractions from the main thing. And the main thing is the knowledge of God. It's us knowing Him like He knows us. It's the pursuit of, of Jesus. It's the pursuit of knowing um, knowing Him, knowing aspects of who He is, what He's like. And one of the things we talked about last week was what what are the benefits of the knowledge of God? Why is it so important to God that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord when this is all said and done, has covered the earth like the waters cover the sea. He doesn't say, you know, and in the end, all the souls will be saved and taken up to heaven. He doesn't say, and in the end, everyone that was good will get to be, you know, swept away out of all the evil and be with me in heaven. No, he says that his kingdom is coming to earth, that his knowledge of how good he is Moses asked to see the glory of God, and in the most simple way to understand it, his glory is all the ways that he's good, because Moses asked to see the glory of God, and then it tells us in Exodus that God caused, in response to Moses' request, he caused all of his goodness to pass before Moses. So whenever I think, like I like to simplify, um, not oversimplify, but simplify just to keep my head around something simplify very, um, you know, kind of overly spiritual words that we use over and over again, where we don't stop to think about what they really mean. Knowledge of God, glory of God, those are words that I think we need to have some simple understanding to boil it down to when we're reading through other passages of scripture so that what comes to mind as we're reading those scriptures is the most simple way to understand it. So, my simple way of understanding, whenever I read about the glory of God, my mind goes to all the ways that he's good. Um, his character, his nature, his, the redemptive aspect of who he is, that he looks at something and someone and says, I can fix that and cares about it. So when we talk about the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth being the end result of where everything is headed, then how much more so do we need to apply that to our own lives in the everyday kind of way? Because what you do, um, you know, a bunch of little times adds up to the one big uh, experience, right? So as each one of us grows in the knowledge of God, grows in our understanding, our awareness of all the amazing things about him, then we actually show up and start caring about the things that he cares about because we know him so well. Um, so one of the things, one of the three things that I saw us transitioning from in this new year was from believing to knowing. 
I believe there's an invitation, there's an opportunity like maybe no other year before to, to transition out of working hard to believe in God to actually knowing him. And for those of us that have, you know, prioritized intimacy with God for a long time, that might not sound like some huge thing. But when you look at what's going on in the world right now and the younger generations, especially that are um, falling away and deconstructing their faith and um, they're having, they're just clinging to any little bit of belief in God that, that they have left, you know, they haven't, they're having to work hard to even believe that there is a God more or less that he's good. And so, um, I believe that we are each connected to the spirit realm. So those of you that that's an easy thing, you're like, yeah, of course I, I, my pursuit every day is to know God more. Um, you, your continued pursuit actually, I believe affects the spirit realm. It's like, you know, if you had a room full of 100 people and you send into the room maybe 10, maybe even less than that, 10 really happy people that are just full of joy. And maybe the whole room is just kind of, eh, or maybe they're even all like down and depressed. You send in 10 people into a room full of 100 people, it's going to be like, leaven in bread. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause the environment and the option for happiness to go up in the room. It just is because we're all connected to each other. We're all connected to the spirit realm, whether we acknowledge it or not. So when each one of us continues in our pursuit of the knowledge of God and growing in who we know him to be, and then the overflow of that is making that same God that we've come to know, more known in others, when we do that, we literally shift the environment, I believe, of the world and certainly of our cities and nations, certainly of our homes and our families. There's something about our steadfastness that this is the way I like to describe it, and it it, it ties in with um, where we're headed in today's Choose Love. It, it thins the veil between what is known and what isn't known, what's what's an option and what isn't. When you hold the line, we've heard that over the last couple of years, but when you hold the line, keeping the main thing, the main thing, that we would know him. That, and, and not just work hard to just believe in some faraway God that, you know, whatever. When we're, work, when we're, knowing rather than believing, when we transition out of that working hard to believe into knowing him and we choose it over and over and over again, every single day, no matter what tempts us to believe or doubt things about God. When we do that, when we hold that line, it thins the veil. It makes it easier, I believe, for those around us to begin to hunger to know God not just believe, but to know him. And so I'm encouraging you in that. If you hear nothing else, stay the course, continue to pursue the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his glory, his goodness. So that was one of the things is the transition for 2023 from believing to knowing. 
another second one, I'm not gonna go into the third one, the second one we're gonna get into today, and that is a transition from glory to glory. Well, we've heard the scripture, but I wanna get into it today. What does it actually say about going from glory to glory? Um, again, in my simple way of thinking, his glory is his goodness. It's all the things that make him him. It's, it's the, the things about his character and his nature that make him righteous and holy and other than us. It's the things about him that we can count on. It's the fact that, like I said, he's a redeemer. He doesn't just redeem our souls for eternity. He redeems everything, everything that we invite him into, even things we don't invite him into. He will redeem. So um, Behind the Veil is actually the name of a song. I was looking for it and I, I couldn't find it online because I, I think that this person never um, like professionally recorded it that I'm aware of or it was on a cassette tape and it never made it to the digital age. But when Johnny and I got married almost 35 years ago, um, we had friends in our church um, sing two songs for us. One song is just, this is just a side note, it has nothing to do with what we're gonna talk about, but you know, get me talking about my wedding. Um, in the beginning, when I walked down the aisle with my dad and he presented me to Johnny, um, they were singing the song. This is an old one, but um, we are standing on holy ground. And I know that there are angels all around. I'm not going to sing it. Um, Let us praise Jesus now. We are standing on holy ground. It was just, it was, it was just, I will never forget the powerful presence of God that I felt in that moment. I mean, it was just amazing as a bride to get to walk down the aisle towards your new groom, your husband. But I wasn't expecting, I was hoping for, but I wasn't expecting the level of the presence of God that we felt there that day. So our same friends at some point in the um, wedding, maybe it was during communion or something, they sang a song that they wrote called Behind the Veil. And um, it was kind of a play on, you know, a bride's veil and the veil that was torn. We know in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I think it was all three of those. Yep. And three of the gospels. Um, it's all very clear that, that literally when Jesus gave up his last breath and he died on the cross, um, there was an earthquake. And I don't know if the earthquake caused it or it happened at the same time, supernaturally, that thick piece of material that was a veil between the outer court and the inner court, the Holy of Holies and the temple, um, the picture of fully knowing God, having full access to who he is and how he is, what he's like, knowing him like he knows us, that literal veil, I don't remember the dimensions, but it's it was huge that hung in the temple and it was thick, like it was impossible for just an, a, a normal activity to, to rip the veil. That veil tore from the top to the bottom as if God himself was looking down and he tore that veil. Behind the veil is where the knowledge of God really happens in that place of intimacy where we each purpose for ourselves. Like I can tell you about God, but that's, 
that plays into your believing. It doesn't play into your knowing. Knowing is different. If I tell you all about my husband, you can't say that you know him. I'm sorry. You can't say you know him just because you've heard from someone else about him. But you can say you know him if you have personal interaction with him. And so often we settle for believing and we think that it's knowing. But behind that veil where we go and we see for ourselves and we get into scripture and the word for ourselves and we we get into his presence alone in our own prayer closets and our own places of silence where um, there's no music, there's no nothing. It's just you and him. Literally, there is no one else that can do that for you. And we can tell you all about it and we can tell you how amazing it is and you can get some overflow from it. But when you don't choose to find that yourself, you have no idea what you're missing. It's the best part of life. It is literally the best part of life. And I love a lot of things about my life. I love my kids. I love my husband. I love my family. I love, you know, where we're living. And and I really love my bed at night. <laughs> Sometimes I get in bed at night and I look at Johnny. I'm like, I feel guilty about how much I love my bed. <laughs> I just love it. Okay, anyway, so behind the veil, we're we're in a year where we're transitioning from glory to glory. So we're going to get into the actual scripture, first of all, that that comes from. I am in the Passion Translation, but I'm also going to start by reading to you the New King James Version of one of the verses. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians, the entire chapter 3, but first I want to read to you verse 18 from the New King James Version. But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. So we're looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. What's it? the glory of the Lord? His goodness. So we're looking at a mirror at how amazing these nuanced aspects are of who our God is and what he's like. We're looking at that in the mirror and we are being transformed into that same image of his goodness. Those things in him that make him care about the things that he cares about. Those things in him that have the power to do something about the things that he cares about. We're looking at that in the mirror and we're becoming like that. Into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we're connecting the glory of God to the knowledge of him. So when we talk about going, from glory to glory, we're talking about going from learning about one thing about him to another thing about him, but not just learning about it, knowing it, meaning we experience that aspect of who he is for ourselves. And then he takes us to the next, the next place in him where we experience and know for ourselves something else about him. Obviously, he's limitless. We could do this for eternity, and we will. There will be a limitless glory to glories, <laughs> unlimited glory to glories over and over and over again. But that process is already available to us now. And it is in that process of looking at him that we are being changed to look like him. It's really amazing. Okay, so... 
now that you are familiar with that scripture you probably heard over and over again, I'm going to read it to you in the context of the whole chapter. And then I'm going to go back and break down a few of the verses. Um, and I will highlight the one that's the same as what we just read in the Passion Translation. Okay. It's called Servants of the New Covenant, this first part. Are we beginning to sound like those who speak highly of themselves? So I guess this is Paul, I think, writing this. I should know that by heart. I'm going to tell you, yep, it's Paul. Are we beginning to sound like those who speak highly of themselves? Do you really need letters of recommendation to validate our ministry like others do? Do we really need your letter of endorsement? He's basically asking in this theme of, you know us, right? Like, you know us. Do you really need to... to need somebody to recommend us to you because you know us. Of course not. For your very lives, our, our letters of recommendation, permanently engraved on our hearts, recognized and read by everybody. As a result of our ministry, you are living letters written by Christ, not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not carved onto stone tablets. Stone tablets, that's our little um, nod to the law and the law of Moses because God wrote with his finger on the tablets, not carved onto stone tablets, but on the tablets of tender hearts. We carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God. Yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength for our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. In other words, we're not talking about the law anymore. You know, the Jews at the time that he was speaking to would have had their whole lives centered around the law of the old covenant the law that was literally inscribed initially on stone tablets that was then added to. The first were the 10 laws, the 10 commandments, and then it was added to. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. Now you've got to realize this is a man who didn't personally know Jesus for himself because he was too busy trying to figure out how he was going to persecute his followers, all right? So Paul was Saul. Saul became Paul because God intervened and said, you're, you're, you've got this all wrong, buddy. I am, I am the God that you are persecuting, and I'm real. And so um, here he is called, Paul is called to the Jews of that, that time, who were stuck in their old understanding of who God was. So Paul's quest here is to help them know God, to help them understand how he's good and how, you know, the whole battle from the Old Testament to the New Testament that Jesus won for us, he didn't just win um, you know, the victory over sin. That's huge. That's everything. It was so much more than that. Jesus won the battle over the knowledge of God. He showed us once and for all how wrong humanity's perspective up to that point was of God. 
we had whittled God down to, um, you know, a distant ruler who just had all of these laws that if they didn't keep to the exact little tiny every single thing, then, you know, there would be, um, you got to pay with all these sacrifices. You got to go to the temple and you have to give to the priest certain things to sacrifice so that he can then take all of that on himself, so to speak, and on your behalf, go behind the veil and have access to the mercy seat where God would then forgive the sins of everyone that he represented, that the priest represented. So he's saying that letter of the law kills. It, it, it brings death to us because we cannot measure up. We can't possibly keep all the rules perfectly. And the sacrifice was never um, complete. It had to it had to be done over and over and over and over again in someone's life on behalf of all the people. And so Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. It was finished. That's why the the veil that they had to go behind was literally split in two because it was done. Now all sacrifice had been made forever so that anyone who would, through Jesus, our high priest, go behind the veil. Um, so, okay, verse seven, this part is called the glorious ministry of the spirit. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. All right, so we have the reality that Moses was the only one that interacted in the Old Covenant and throughout the Old Testament. He's the only one that interacted with God face to face. And in those interactions where he was getting the, the Ten Commandments, the law that was put on the tablets, he, he literally supernaturally glowed so much when he came back down off the mountain and was interacting with all of the Israelites, it scared them. They couldn't handle seeing his face glow like that. So he literally had to veil or hide his face. Now, I want to also point out that through the entire Old Testament, there are so many scriptures that speak of the hidden face of God and God hiding his face from his people over and over and over again. David throughout Psalms pleading, God, please don't hide your face from me. It was a thing. And you know what? It's a thing still to this day. Um, it's one of the saddest parts, in my opinion, about traveling to Israel and to Jerusalem. Um, recently, we were in New York City and um, I'm not going to, I'm just going to say it this way. God's chosen people who still, there are many of them that are Orthodox today um, that live in different cities, but there are lots of them that live in New York City. Um, we ended up having an interaction. Um, we were helping a relative of ours move into um, an apartment there 
And in this apartment um, was, I think, owned by uh, that someone in that community and someone that was very orthodox. And, you know, I was I was excited because I love and I love to have a unique experience like that. And so um, throughout this experience, though, it became clear the misery, the misery that the commitment to the law, um, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law just weighed like a burden, so much so that the people that we were with, um, and some of them were young adults, were noticing like, they, these people are miserable. They're so, like, what? why are they so like upset all the time? And so I had an opportunity to explain from the things that we've learned by being in Israel, about this idea of the hidden face of God. There is um, the chosen people of God who used to be the Israelites and now are another group of people. I don't want to say because I don't want to get this banned from somewhere because of some, you know, wrong perspective on what I'm saying. There is an understanding of the hidden face of God. They are the only faith that that shares um, with us, maybe I shouldn't say the only, they, they share with us the same God, Yahweh. They worship the same God, Yahweh, but the difference maker, the difference maker is the knowledge of God through Jesus, the Messiah. They do not believe that the Messiah has come yet. They are still waiting on the Messiah who will appear one day so that they won't have to live under the burden and the weight, the guilt of number one, at this point in history, there is no temple where they can make sacrifices. So I don't even know what they believe about atonement for their sin, but but they still live under the letter of the law. Here's an example. This is the weight of what we're talking about. Because we we look at the Bible and we're like, oh, they had, we don't understand it. This, so this will give you a little understanding. When you go to Israel and you are in hotels where um, Orthodox people of this faith um, live, um, work, I'll say they, they don't live in hotels, but work, they, um, these high-rise hotels, on the Sabbath, they automatically shift to, you don't press the buttons because they automatically stop on every single floor of the hotel. Whether you want the, the elevator to or not, it's annoying. They have to stop on every single floor every single time during the Sabbath. Why? Because they believe that pushing the button on the elevator is breaking the law because it's work on the Sabbath. Can you imagine for this many generations still locked down because the face of God is hidden to them? I'm going to read a scripture at the end that, that tells us though where this is headed and it just excites me for my brothers and my sisters that don't yet know the Messiah. Um, okay, anyway, I said I wasn't going to comment through this. I'm commenting through this so I won't have to go back through it. All right, um, 
So we're talking about Moses. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away, yet how much more radiant. So that glory, there was a glory. There was a level of knowledge of God. There was a level of his goodness that they had access to, but it was much less. And if you think about it, that was a glory. And then new levels of glory, new levels of awareness of who God is and what he's like, new levels of the knowledge of God have have just gone from glory to glory to glory to glory throughout the generations to where we are now. That's why we are such a privileged generation to know him like we do. It's, it's unheard of. Like, anyway, okay. Yet, how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit? So Jesus left us the Holy Spirit so that we could continue in the knowledge of God. He didn't want it just to stop with those who knew Jesus face to face because they lived at the same time that he did. They wanted, they being God, God wanted to to have us continue to grow from glory to glory grow in the knowledge of who God is and what he's like. Um, And so that's why he had to send the Holy Spirit so that we could continue with unveiled faces, continue to seek this, this hidden face of God would be no longer hidden to us. So, um, yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit that shines from us For if the former ministry of condemnation, the old covenant, was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. A permanent impartation of access to who God is, what he's like, all these nuances of his goodness. Caring about what he cares about because we know him so that we can make him known in real ways to real people that need solutions to real problems. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. What's the truth? The truth of who he is, what he's like. We are not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened, For even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. He's speaking of um, those of the Jewish faith. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated. The veil is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the Old Testament, when it's being read, because they um, continue to read through that, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. 
and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. In other words, the scripture you're familiar with, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him and freedom, obviously from, I just interrupted myself, but freedom from the law, the burden of having to measure up to have a relationship with God, Um, you know, getting it right on the Sabbath, all the little things that weighed them down and continue to to this day. Um, We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect. This is the verse that I read to you in the New King James Version. With no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transformed. It's also the word transfigured. And transfigured is the same word that was used when Jesus ascended to heaven. He was transfigured and he sent the Holy Spirit. So we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another, from glory to glory. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right. Um, Now I'm going to go into a few verses in Hebrews. Um, This is Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 18. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. The context of this is um, in Hebrews. Um, This is written by, who is this written by? Author unknown, possibly Paul. Um, He's talking about God's promise that he made to Abraham, that he would give him a son and that that son would just spin off into um, generations that would be like the sand on the shore. And here we are. This is us. We are what was promised to Abraham. Literally, our lineage goes all the way back to Abraham. And even spiritually, our lineage goes back to Abraham because we are the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. We are the the promise that God fulfilled. So that's the context. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. I love this next part. And now we have run into his heart. And I'll put in behind the veil. We have run into his heart to hide ourselves, not from the world, to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. It's an aspect of who he is. When you run into the heart of God, you go from glory to glory because in that place of of running into his heart you experience something new about him you encounter some new aspect of how good he is and one of those aspects is his faithfulness this is where we find his strength and comfort for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time We can't seize 
the victory that's already been established for our generation and future generations. We can't seize our part of that victory. You cannot seize your part of the victory that God has pre-established for you without running into his heart. For it's there that he empowers us to seize what, he has, already been what has already been established ahead of time, which is an unshakable hope. All right. Definition of hope that you've probably heard me say before. Hope is the anticipation of good from God. It's basically expecting God to be true to his character and his nature. When we hope in him, it's not wishful thinking. It's actually, I can count on. I literally expect him to eventually, probably won't be in my timing. I've learned that. But eventually to show up in who I know him to be. All right, that is our unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. You can't fall away from him when you know him. You can when you just have believed through someone else's words about him. But there's an anchor that happens that, that, that you, you are anchored to God himself when you know him when you've gone behind the veil, when you have um, run into his, his heart and hidden yourself in his faithfulness. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat. Where is the mercy seat? The mercy seat is behind the veil. It's where the veil was torn. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat in the heavenly realm behind actually not behind, beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, another word for that is trailblazer, he was the first one to go running behind the veil, right? Has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priest like Melchizedek. Um, so remember the priest would go into behind the veil, rarely because he could die if he did it wrong. Um, he, he would go behind the veil on behalf of all the people to the mercy seat. And Jesus is our once and for all priest that went behind the veil. So um, again, this phrase here that says, we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. I want to read to you. Isaiah 25, and again, this is the Passion Translation, um, Isaiah 25. Okay, this is, oh, this is where we're headed. This is a bit of encouragement for you. If you are super aware of what's going on in the world around you, and you're waking up to evil's agenda that has been, um, you know, coordinated by tyrants at the top. I'll just say it that way. Um, then it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and not remember that there is a victory that has already been established for us. And we get to be the ones to carry out the, the victory that's already been established. Um, so we just read about how we hide ourselves 
in the heart of God where we experience and find his faithfulness, a song of faithfulness. This Isaiah 25 is actually called in this translation, song of God's faithfulness. So this is where we're headed. Now, in, in its original context, and there's layers to truth, layers to scripture, so it can apply prophetically to a historical event that already happened while it still applies to something that will happen in the future because ultimately all scripture is a, is a picture of us, a picture of God for us of an aspect of who he is and what he's like. So this is a description of the heart of God, the same heart of God that we are going to see displayed in our lifetimes against evil and tyranny. Song of God's Faithfulness, chapter 25, Isaiah. Lord Yahweh, you are our glorious God. We will exalt you and praise your name forever for you have done so many wonderful things. Well thought out plans you formed in ages past. You've been faithful and true to fulfill them all. The city that was once mighty, you turned into a heap of rubble. The fortified city now lies in ruins. The foreigner's fortress is no more, is no more and will never be rebuilt. This is speaking of the enemies of God, the places that they hide, the cities they build for themselves, the empires they have created that we're waking up to. Therefore, superpower nations will glorify you and the cities of terrorist nations will revere you. You have been a fortress protector for the poor, a mighty stronghold for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the sudden storm and a shade from the shimmering heat of the day. For the fury of tyrants was like a winter windstorm battering against the wall. And like the heat of a drought in a desert land, you subdued the heat under the shade of clouds. You alone silence the song of tyrants. The Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, will host a rich feast on this mountain for all peoples. A feast with plenty of meat and well-aged wine, with an abundance of food and the finest of wine. And on this mountain, he will destroy the veil or the shroud that has been wrapped around all the people. The veil spread over all nations. He will destroy the veil that is spread over all nations. We're not asking him to do this. This is a promise. This is a prophetic promise that he made. And he and he 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 fulfilled it in a small point in history so that we could believe it for our own point in history. Goes on verse 8, it is the gloom of death. That shroud, that veil that covers all the nations is the gloom of death. He will swallow it up in victory forever. And he did through his life, his death, his resurrection. And God, Lord Yahweh, will wipe away every tear from every face. He will remove every trace of disgrace that his people have suffered throughout the world for the Lord Yahweh has promised it. 
In that day, they will say, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him and he saved us. This one, the Lord Yahweh, he is worth the wait. We will keep shouting with joy as we find our bliss in his salvation kiss. The mighty gracious hand of the Lord Yahweh will rest upon this mountain. But the Moabites, or they represent enemies, will be trampled under his feet as straw gets trampled into the manure. They will stretch out their arms in it like a swimmer stretches out his arms to swim, yet God will bring down their pride and they will thrash and sink despite their struggle. He's basically saying they are going to drown in the, in the, how do I say this in a nice way, in the manure that they have created. He will tear down the high walls of Moab's, the enemy's fortresses, and flatten them into dust. This is an aspect of who God is that we will know. Not because we've read about it, not because we've heard about it, but because we will see with our own eyes. I believe that. I really believe that. All right. Um, all right. Let me check my notes here. So we are in 2023 transitioning from glory to glory, from opportunities to know him, to greater opportunities to know him, to even greater opportunities to know him, where we run into the heart of our God behind where the veil was that has been torn. Knowing God is the difference maker. All right. We know from Habakkuk 2.14 and also from um, Isaiah 11.9. I spoke into this last week. This was a surprise to me. There's a second verse in the Bible that talks about the knowledge of the God, the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth, Isaiah 11 and 9, for the earth will be filled with the intimate knowledge of the Lord Yahweh, just as the water swells the sea. So knowing God is the difference maker, the knowledge of God, that's where this is all headed, right? How much more so for our own hearts, our own lives, that we would know God, that we would not settle for hearing and just believing what we hear, not settle for just reading about him and believing what we read about him, but also running into his presence ourselves, keeping the main thing, the main thing that we would each grow from glory to glory, from knowledge of him to greater knowledge of him. So if knowledge, knowing him is the difference maker, then if it's true for eternity, right? This is where it's all headed. In the end, the knowledge of the God, the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth, then certainly it's true for our short lifetime. If the goal for eternity is that the knowledge of God fill the earth, then that's the goal for now. When you meet certain steps along the way, they add up to accomplishing the overall goal. Um, I want to close with one last scripture. Um, Isaiah, we're going to get right back into Isaiah 
chapter 30, verse 20. Even though, and I hope that you can take this as a personal word for you today, even though the Lord may allow you to go through a season of hardship and difficulty. Another uh, translation says, even though the Lord may allow you to eat the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, he himself will be there with you. He will not hide himself from you. He will not hide himself from you. For your eyes will constantly see him as your teacher. When you turn to the right or turn to the left, you will hear his voice behind you to guide you, saying, this is the right path, follow it. That's how you know him, is you do life with him, in him. You turn one way and you stop and you listen. Is this the way you're taking me? If he doesn't say, this is the way I walk in it, and that feels like something to each one of you, we're not going to hear his voice audibly. Maybe some will, most don't. And so it's, it's, it's just a knowing. You're like, you, you experience his way of speaking to you and you, you know that's the right way. Maybe not forever, but for right now, that's the right way. And then you turn to the left and he guides you and he says, that's the right path for you. He wants to be involved in the nitty gritty of our lives in the day to day in, in all things. And even though it's a season of hardship and difficulty, adversity, affliction, he's with us. We're not alone. He's with us. All right, let's pray. I meant to pray at the beginning. That was a goal that I had and I, I didn't do it. So we'll pray now. Father, um, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit so that each one of us could literally go from glory to glory. Thank you, Jesus, for doing all that you did so that the veil would literally be torn and we could go behind it and we could run into your presence. We could run into your heart. We could discover your song of faithfulness. Thank you for all that you are doing that we don't understand. We can't necessarily see it right now, but we can see you. Thank you for not hiding your face. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who, um, your, your face is still hidden. They haven't found you to be Messiah yet. And we pray for them. We pray for all of your sons and daughters that don't yet know you. That they would find that your face is no longer veiled. Thank you, Jesus, for all the things you did and all the words you said and all the ways that you did life here on earth so that we could know what our Father is really like. Thank you for showing us my, my, our Father. And what we have seen, we adore. What we have seen, we are in awe of. It makes us want to see and know even more of you. We want to know you so well that we care about who you care about. 
We care about what you care about. We give you permission. Each one of us, we can say, I give you permission to show me more of yourself, more of your face, more of your glory. All the things that make you so good. We love you. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. I give you permission to relentlessly, annoyingly pursue me into my secret place with my Father. Woo me, pursue me. When I'm distracted, when I'm overwhelmed with life, would you call me in a way that I can't miss it back into your presence, back into hiding in your heart, not from the world, but towards you. Those places, those times of refreshing, we know that they're waiting for us. And we ask you to forgive us for settling, for um, just hearing about you and not knowing you ourselves. A million little decisions where we settle and, and we want to we want to just throw off shame and throw off guilt and throw off performance and, and respond from our hearts to your heart. We love you so much. We receive your love right now, each one of us, right where we are. We just let your love in. We let it hit its mark in us. We let that river of life and love that flows from your throne supernaturally. We just let it cascade over us right now. Let it touch every part of who we are, body, mind, and soul, our spirit. Water is powerful. That love that flows from your throne is powerful and it changes everything that it touches. Change us. Let us be being transformed into the image of the one that we are choosing to look at, choosing to behold you. Hmm. Let your water of the word that we've been reading today wash over us and heal places in our, in our perspective of you and our way that we see you. Let it heal um, places in our faith that have doubted. Let it heal um, areas of just discouragement from seeing what's going on in the world around us. Let it renew hope, that anchor that you said we could anchor our souls to you and hope in you. Would you restore our expectation of you to be good and only good? Would you give us that, um, that resolve to wait in areas that we don't see your goodness yet, in our health challenges or our family relationship challenges? Would you just renew our strength to wait in hope, expecting your goodness, expecting you to be 
who we know you to be. We love you. We receive your love. We ask that we would be conduits of your love to everyone around us, from our families to strangers. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, again, subscribe, like. It helps more people see this. Hope you have a wonderful um, day, week, wherever you are and watching this. We bless you. I bless you. And um, look forward to being back here with you next week on Choose Love.